All righty then. Because this is Thriller. <laughs> wow. It's the 2nd of March. It's March. And what's really weird is I um, kind of thought <laughs> until this Monday that we were still in the last week of February. Uh, time. Time is so weird lately. Lots of things are being done differently than we thought. But I thought that I could spill a little bit of tea before we get into, you know, general topics. Because now the media and the right, right, of course, right, wants you to focus. What do they want you to focus on? Hunter Biden's attorney resigning. No, that's not news. That happened a while ago, right? You're just getting to hear about it. And so that's the concern that all of you should have, is that you're getting news late, very, very late. You know, the purpose of journalism is to provide accurate, timely, and relevant information to the public about events, issues, and ideas that are of public interest. Journalists play a crucial role in a, a role, a crucial role in informing citizens about what's happening in their communities, their countries, and around the world and in holding those in power accountable for their actions. At its core, journalism is about gathering, verifying, and presenting information to the public in a way that's fair, objective, and balanced. And journalists, journalists strive to provide context and analysis to help audiences understand complex issues and to give a voice to a range of perspectives and viewpoints. Not only that, to reporting the news, journalists also serve as watchdogs, investigating wrongdoing, exposing corruption, and shining a light on issues that might otherwise go unnoticed. They may also provide commentary and analysis on current events and social trends, helping to shape public discourse and debate. Overall, the actual purpose of journalism is education. It's supposed to help citizens make informed decisions about the issues that directly and indirectly affect their lives and to help foster a free and transparent society where information is freely shared and discussed. Now, I'm also streaming on other platforms like YouTube and Facebook only because I'd like them to hear the parts that won't get me knocked off because I will be showcasing <clears throat> uh, video reports. You know, actually, mm, I may be able to get away with these. I mean, so let's begin today by understanding what journalism is supposed to be. In the next couple of weeks, the one thing that I will focus on is um, showing you, the people, just how orchestrated everything is. Even right-wing watch has made mistakes. <laughs> Wait, they didn't make a mistake. It was purposeful. But I'll show you that. That's also a facade. A facade of supposed counter to the narrative of the right-wing or whatever. It's all phony. I'll tell you that many over the years, over the years, it's, a, it's an ongoing theme, that they express confusion in general of what's going in the public. To me, right? What's your deal? What are you doing? What do you mean, what am I doing? See, a lot of people don't even realize what I am doing, but later they'll understand, which is the foundation of my constant restatement. You can hate me now, but you'll love me later. 
because not many people understand what I'm doing, but they will. I've realized that watching the social media landscape organizing itself right now for the next wave of influence operation is coming together. As many of them actually think it'll work. <laughs> I mean, it will work. It'll make a money. How do I know? I was the deepest state there is. So deep, no one has any idea who I really am. And you know what? That terrifies them. I, as well, up until 2019, was scared of things I didn't understand. I'm okay with that unknown now. But then I was only okay with the unknown as long as I understood it. But in 2019, I realized there's no need for fear. No need to fear what I do not understand because I'm not supposed to control everything or know everything. Because it's through that unknown in those uncharted waters that you go through that you get seasoned and tested. Now, it's important to annotate the tested part. The tested part is when you're in a tough spot. For example, let's pretend you're broke. Like so broke, you don't have food to eat. You have two choices. Steal, deceive, and cheat for your benefit, or keep going and the food will come. I've been there. I know. I mean, in the end, the same exit would have occurred with a delay, right? Faith. Stand back as you go through your social media, just take a step back and watch the groups form. New alliances forge. Those that were claiming, oh, they're all bad, I'm independent, suddenly kiss ass and join forces with those that have kept you mesmerized. The alliances forge of all those who want to profit off of information hidden from you. And that's done to control you. I'll tell you this. You already have everything you need. You don't need anyone to spoon feed it to you or tell you anything. Over the years, I've observed tens of thousands of people come together for common cause, only to be sidelined, destroyed, and losing their way by submitting themselves back into the taught notion that they must follow. And again, the Milgram experiment is one that I shared with my audience and have throughout the years since I started coming out on air. I mean, I would tweet about it and Facebook about it. But when I got on air, I demonstrated that again and again, played the actual experiment again and again. Confirmation bias, hive thinking, mindless acceptances, making excuses for others when they seem to to do things you do not expect or accept. Now, considering you have full knowledge, of course, right? Because they might be doing something that you're like, hey, I don't like that, but it's not really what you think. Now, the Milgram experiment showed that people are easily manipulated and this is easily done. Now, many will not provide full transparency as to what is happening in general in your local landscape, uh, national or international, because they understand 
that one, people can't handle the truth as the truth shatters their reality. And that is the biggest mind death ever. I've been there. I know. It's been almost, well, it's been a full three years, so it's a little over three years when I had my mind death. It's terrible. It affects everything. It affects uh, the way you interact with people, the way you respond to crises or good news. And it creates more blind spots, meaning that let's pretend a woman was in a domestic violence situation. She will fall into abusive situations again, excusing the behavior only because that behavior isn't identical to the behavior that she expected, experienced before. So that's one reason people do not provide full transparency at the get-go. The other one, which is the most usual one, is that they want to profit and make themselves your source, which in turn, if they're your source, then that makes them, what? Powerful. And you must listen and obey or else you are not, I don't know, in the know or at the high school lunchroom taper. Another reason full transparency is not provided is that those that want to may go to jail, even speaking of things due to man-made laws of secrecy that cannot be dispelled at the very moment. They become martyrs in the dark or in the light. But you know, you would never know these people because it's the people that want power and control that control the microphone. And again, I speak from personal perspective on the mind death. It is extremely horrific. Now, you know what was funny? You know, this whole Thaler thing in Arizona and everyone attacking Thaler and not looking at the information because they need to attack him first is a typical agency strategy. And this is only done when you wish to conceal methods of execution, meaning you do not want to reveal methods because that exposes others. So instead of targeting the information, you target the person. For example, again, personal example is the easiest one. I exposed a lot of things. I exposed the Chinese buying land. You didn't know about it. I exposed the human trafficking rings and the Sinaloa cartels and, you know, the illegal mineral right. Well, we haven't even gotten to that, have we, with the, with the oil and gas yet, <laughs> but it's coming. And this is all done from very high level people. My enemies aren't losers or want to be self-proclaimed important people. My enemies are very powerful people. And so I thought, you know, maybe people were a little bit smarter because they all listened. <clears throat> when attacks came at me, they came from this guy named Ali Akbar. Looks like Sammy Davis Jr. He's a Republican prostitute, also has been proven to be a child predator, damning little kids, right? As young as 12. And like you see from all these, you know, superstars in Hollywood and others, they do it plain inside. He had put it on his Instagram. But the thing is, people aren't that smart. See, 
yesterday, uh, was it yesterday or the day before yesterday? I forget because the same influence operators that come from the same source that should be very careful, you know, came at me once again, attacking my person because I was right that they attacked the messenger, not the message. Well, it was very, very interesting to see the response. So there were people on True Social saying, no, she's right. You know, we shouldn't be attacking the, inf- the, the messenger. We should attack the information and we should be parsing that apart regarding, you know, the fraud with Katie Hobbs in Arizona, which <laughs> remember in Arizona, there are people that are in Trump's circle, right? And he knows it, that have had crimes disappear. We're talking sexual assault and whatnot. Arizona is, uh, is a place that will crack it wide open. Well, Brian Cates, who used to be a paper boy and then was hired to be an influence operative, probably because of his proximity to his brother and getting in on these things, whatever. The guy's like a walking dildo, okay? He responds to someone saying, you backed the wrong horse again. Now you're trying to cover your ass, attacking as Thaler's problems come out. Again, insisting that because Thaler may be a problem, that his information should not be looked at. This is exactly what the CIA does. This is how we do it. And he goes right after the Brunson embarrassment. Again, here he is. And you know what he said to me? You should have stopped launching fake charities and spending money at McDonald's. He's referring to the attorney general lawsuit. And you know what this paper boy forgets? Is that he's backing the words of a corrupt AG. Might I remind everyone, he's six feet under. He killed himself before he was arrested and convicted, at least indicted. He was a guy, he's limp-wristed and very close with Obama worked with the cartels, raped little boys, facilitated trafficking, both humans and drugs, and helped sell land to the Chinese in North Dakota. But that's the person that these people trust and not me, where I had a whole federal nationwide investigation into me. And all they came up with was, well, that three, 200, whatever, $300 that she had in her business account, she got McDonald's and um, something on QVC. Yeah, it's my account. I could do whatever I want. And every, think about it. They ran me up, and that's all they came out with, a civil suit, which was the cherry on top, because I was fine getting assassinated. My character was assassinated because I took down the whole attorney general's division in one sweep. I suffered for that, but I'm okay with it, because now, so many years later, it's all coming to light, isn't it? That's a sacrifice I took. Not a lot of people will acknowledge it, and that's okay. I don't expect people to be able to, right? I'm not mentioning Brian Cates because he's important. He's not. He's broke as shit. And now they're all trying to find the new scam. They made all these unions, ran off with monies, packs, all this money. And you know what sucks? So thinking about J6, right? There have been attorney Sidney Powell as well. Sidney Powell. They've been asking the Capitol to provide this footage that they have to help with their defendants, right? The people that they're defending for J6, and they have been declined. Now, Roger Stone begged the president to have a meeting to discuss J6. Parentheses. For all of you that don't know, if you want to be on Tucker Carlson, all you have to do is kiss Roger Stone's ass. And his madam, you know, 
right? Because he actually has a madam that lives with him. Uh, we'll hook it up. She's the connect. So here is where Roger Stone suggests to McCarthy, hey, let's smooth this out. I think the base will be totally okay if you give all the footage to Tucker. No, because the left's not going to be okay because they're playing along in this game. It's a game. The reason was is that they wanted to remove and obfuscate information. Why? Because Roger Stone has an interest and so do many, many, many big names. See, there are a lot of right-wing influencers. We're talking janitors to admirals to generals that were involved in the J6. Now, Roger Stone is convinced that if they go down, President Trump goes down. But hold on a second. I'm the only one talking about the fact that they all orchestrated this. I've already got the information. You think I work alone? There's a nation of Americans that work really, really, really hard to gather information. They don't have titles and tiaras. Hmm. Well, and John McAfee was a good help too. Very good help. See, they always try to say, well, this can happen. Here's the reason that these influencers and big names participated. Because then they would have said, Look, we got this done for you. Now give us a job. That's not the case. This year of 2023, we, the people, will be roaring. Not the self-appointed titles and tiaras. Not the, hey, you're past your due date influencers. No one else. It's the people. And that is what they hate. They don't want the people to do this. Because if you think about it, I want you to take a step back and think. Let's go back to the elections, 2020. How many foundations, how many companies, how many NGOs, how many PACs, how many, all of these things that they created, this for first, that for first, oh, we're doing this, oh, we're doing that, oh, we're doing this, unions and whatnot, we're doing this, we're doing that. Think, how many of those have spurred up from social media, <laughs> self-crowned people that took your fucking money? Where are the goods? Oh, it's not our fault. It's somebody else's fault. We did our best. It's not our fault. It's the cabal. Well, I'll tell you what. See, while other people are, oh, look, Hunter Biden's lawyer just moved. That's not the story. That's really not the story. You should not even be paying attention to that. Be like, yeah, man, dude's going to jail anyway. And he wants to step out, has that, you know, attorney-client privilege, can't repeat it. He's done. He's out. Is it because he's running for the hills? Fuck no. They're going all in. This guy is just a distraction. But every media outlet is going to thump it because you're going to be like, yeah, we got him. You ain't got shit yet. Actually, we already have gotten them. Actually, we're already done. And I'll demonstrate. You hear all these names that people start throwing around, right? This name, that name, the other name. Oh, Newland's the devil. Yeah, we know that. She's been the devil. But those aren't the people that actually betray you. Those aren't the people. See, this is the problem that we have. People use uh, publicly prominent figures and then paint them as the demons, right? <laughs> 
And then you're fixated on that, right? And in the end, you're the stupid one because you didn't do your homework. Well, everyone would like to hate Fauci and Biden and the Newland, whatever other public official, you know, you think is responsible for your CDC complying with the WHO. I'm here to tell you, none of them did it. There's people above them. People above them that are in positions that are supposed to be serving them, but they're kind of like me. Well, I was only in information, sharing, assessing, localization. They're the executors. And there are people you have no idea exist. Or maybe you saw them and you're like, oh, that's, there's nothing wrong. There's absolutely nothing wrong. We have people thumping 2030. 2030, you guys, they already completed what they need for 2030. Where are you? Here's the problem. We have a media that's supposedly independent that's really not. If you notice, they circle jerk each other's information. They hide it behind paywalls. And that's because they want to profit. It's all about the money. There are no friendships. It's what they can gain from you to become famous and a star. And then in the end, they look stupid because most of the information they put out uh, was reporting that was given to them to report, not actually investigative. So we really have a very, very small amount of people that actually do the investigating. Very small. So small that you don't even see them. So we're going to showcase those people today. Well, one person, because you need to know who it is. Now, in our landscape, toxicity, know-it-alls, you know, I've gone over the Dunning-Kruger effect, right? And it's something you guys should look into. Watch like cute, simple cartoon videos explaining the Dunning-Kruger effect. And then you will understand all these podcasters and all these alleged, <laughs> they like say, I'm an investigative journalist. No, you're not. No, you're not. You get funded by someone. And if you decide that you want to get funded by the people, all you do is use other people to pretend you did it. That's it. You don't collaborate. You don't create a group effort. It has to be about you. And this is what we see. And that's why they hate me because I don't get, no one pays my stuff. The people do. And they can't even fathom that. And nobody should outvoice them. You know, he's big and strong and has a ton of crypto or, you know, she's got big hair and tits and looks amazing. So that's the right way to go. Come on, guys. Marketing 101. Now, it's important for us to, to, to make sure to understand almost like all other leaders in the past that would speak and people would flock, right? This is how our social media environment is. Well, it was all, it's all for money. It's just to line their pocket, their tummies, their successes. It's all about them, not others. Now, everyone understands the concept of mindlessly following, supporting, falling off cliffs, jumping off bridges under the words of others. There is a fine line between unity and cults. A cult is where one person rapes, abuses, profits off the masses and sees them as a piggy bank and does what they want with their 
followers. Trump voters are being called a cult because people will turn up, shower him with gifts, letters, money, and support. People call it a cult. Jesus was also called a cult, if you remember correctly, right? Wasn't he? Yes, they were. Because people would flock with linens, food, coins, and anything else he required because his message was their message. Unity is ecclesia, the line between unity or an ecclesia and a cult is very thin, just like that of love and hate. It's not rocket science. A cult seeks to tell their followers that they have no value, that the leader knows best, and that they have experience and knowledge, and wear that title in tiara, medals, past history, as a depiction of why people should follow them and listen to them blindly. But anyone who is in a movement of unity, of ecclesia, does not. They don't see people as followers. They see them as fellow leaders and provide input. And everyone provides input. They will stand in the gap for all the leaders that surround them to be their voice and to take the hits. They will make suggestions to each other, hold conversations that are honest and transparent. They'll promote their fellow leaders, sometimes to a higher standard than even themselves. Because it is necessary that that person be elevated. Almost like the way Jesus put John the Baptist, you know, hey, he's, you know, the epitome, this, this, this. There is a very big difference. Now, as 2023 unfolds, 2018 is trying to make a comeback. It's important that everyone focuses on their gut instinct. Purge the fear that is warranted. It is warranted. As you don't have to be a time traveler, cube master or anything of alleged importance to see the writing on the wall. China, lab leak, really? Now, after they decided they're going to war with China in two years, do you understand what war looks like in 2025? No more Normandy. No more lines drawn and foxhole and people shooting each other, you know, in a straight line. It's all digital. Well, this world war began over a decade ago. Trump stepped in to shine the light. And they did everything to stop him. So he said, okay, I'll help feed the future script. I will shine the light and hope that I empower the people to take back the country. I don't think he banked on all these thirsty fuckers out there that were trying to make a buck off the people. Some of them were PTSD'd from getting railroaded by the very people that they were fighting, the alleged deep state. Other people made it look like they were railroaded when they weren't. People just came out of nowhere and became important. Preachers, singers, right? And then, for example, because I love bashing this because it's the easiest one. This is low-hanging fruit, not because I have something personal against him. I pray for Brian Cates all the time. I would hate to be him. I know he wants to be me, though. I would hate to be him. But think about it. Who the hell is Brian Cates? Have you looked into that? Kind of like Jordan Sather. Wasn't he making smoothies? How did he suddenly become a point of information? See, people don't pay attention. When you're confused, start at the beginning. I don't think President Trump expected that the people that he thought were good, (laughs) you were a snake and I brought you in. You knew I was a snake. Yes, he did. But you know, he may have antidotes, <laughs> lots of Tory antidotes. For some reason, people consider proximity to anything important. 
if people saw pictures of me and world leaders, they'd be like, damn, she's important. No, the important people, you don't see them. The important people that make the strong decisions about how they will do you over or liberate you, right? You don't have anything on them. They're ghosts. Until they become ambassadors to Geneva, and then that's a different story. <laughs> Speaking of Geneva, isn't, isn't Jack Maxey there? The one that said, Garrett Ziegler, don't put that out. The one that said, more seasoned professionals should deal with it. I'll tell you why. Because everyone has convinced good leadership around the world that they must make deals. Fuck the deals. And this is why people like me exist now. It is very important that while all this is theater, I see that many are willing to draw it out to avoid entering into the new era because they have no position. In fact, I can't even hear them down there. Funny, they're down there. God is in the heavens, depicted to be sitting in the clouds. Hmm. AI is also ironically in the cloud. Let that simmer for a bit. Now, speaking of AI, before we get into um, a few tidbits, I want you guys to know that the AI Emerson that you're using on Telegram has not been updated till 27, uh, since 2017. So all information is updated. Chat GPT that you may be using, the last update they had was September 2021. So all information that you are getting is old. I just wanted to point it out because a lot of people are using AI and they think that they are getting accurate information. It's actually outdated. You can actually ask your AI when's the last time they connected and were provided actual data in order to be able to draw information, right? This is very important because it hasn't been, even the one on Bing. So it's very important that people understand these things because they don't. They have very remedial knowledge of what artificial intelligence is. You know, they expect artificial intelligence, you know, <laughs> well, well, it can, you know. It can. Artificial intelligence that is clearly non-biologically merged uh, lacks uh, the ability to have sensitivities to human problems, right? Hashtag human problems, which are called emotions and compassion. AI on its own, just a box, is simply ones and zeros, providing the best balanced solutions and answers with the information that they have. AI is dangerous. It's in the cloud. Almost like your new God. I hope you're paying attention. The thing is, sometime in the future, one may project that there is a successful merge, or maybe in the past, of using artificial intelligence components with human components. Remember, I've said this for years, way before COVID, protect your DNA because it's just biological software. And you can fact check me on that. So why am I bringing this up? Well, we should start talking about stories. Have you guys ever, ever heard of, you know, the ghost that was part of the conjuring? Have you, ever, have you guys ever heard of that? Um, you know, the conjuring ghost? You know, let's actually take a look at it together. And I'm going to have to use it on a split screen so that way I don't get dinged because we're going to be using this for demonstration purposes, of course. It's quite fascinating. Because you're going to be like, why are you showing us ghost stories? Oh, wait. <laughs> 
you want to see monsters? I'm going to show you a monster you've probably never even, you know, knew of. Now, for those that have been working for places like the International Office or like Jack Maxey, right, Jack, right? Um, and other people that, you know, may have relationships with the Council of Foreign Relations and stuff like that may know this name. And most recently, right? Uh, this name, this person was actually appointed, but I'll, I'll show you who they are. Because, you know, when I see people, and, and, and I know it's well-intended, so it's not intended to be mean, right? Don't get me wrong. I don't mean this in a mean way, saying, hey, you're doing a disservice by saying that these are the families that are running everything, right? Right? You're doing a disservice by just putting up Rothschild only. Because you're missing the key players, that are right in front of you, that are guiding everything. You know, and I had this conversation with Garrett years ago. I said, you know, the only problem I have is, and please feel free to tap me, is that people that will be looking at the Hunter Biden laptop will not know what they're looking at if they're not involved in international relations, international affairs, the Department of Energy, and the New Order. There's no new order. Stop it. Stop. Don't lie to yourself. All right. So let's get going on this. I'll introduce you to a ghost. I actually like this channel. I watch some of their stuff just for fun too. You know, when you're in bed and you're tired. So let's, um, let's take a look. There we go. Who was the real Bathsheba? Let's take a look. Night of the 13 Nights of Fright on my channel. I'm your host, Olivia Garcia. Now, as always, the topics of tonight's video might be too scary and could be triggering to some viewers, so if that is you, please proceed with caution. Now that's out of the way, on with the video. Now, tonight we're going to be talking about none other than the star of the Conjuring movie, Bathsheba. Bathsheba! By the power of God, I condemn you back to hell! And if you haven't watched the original Conjuring movie, well, spoiler alert, I guess. Now, for those of you who have watched the Conjuring movies, they're actually based upon real life situations that happened to Ed and Lorraine Warren over their years of paranormal investigation, including the one in Harrisville, Rhode Island. Now, what's depicted in the movie isn't exactly the full story, and it might be a little bit over-exaggerated to make it a scary movie, but it still has some truth and reality. So, Bathsheba, the star of the show, the one who cursed the whole entire land, was actually a real person. Yeah, I know, crazy, right? I thought she was like some made up creepy devil thing, but no, she's a real person. Now, I actually thought she was a demonic entity because of her name, but it wasn't that uncommon of a name back then. And actually, it was two different Hebrew words, bat meaning daughter and Sheba meaning seven, but if you put them together, it means to make an oath. But an oath to who? Could it have been the devil? Because that makes so much sense. Now, Bathsheba Thea, which was her full name, was actually born in 1812 back in Rhode Island. She later married Judson Sherman in 1844 and later gave birth to a child in 1849 at the age of 37. Now, New England folklore isn't always that accurate and some of the different versions of the story mention that they had three other children that died before the age of seven. So, I'm not really sure about that, but 
It would make a lot of sense seeing as what she does later on. About a week after Bathsheba gave birth to her child, her husband found her trying to sacrifice it to the devil. Now, some variations of the story say that she actually killed her child during the sacrifice, and others say that her husband was able to stop her before she sacrificed the child. After she was caught, she ran out to the backyard, climbed up to the tallest tree, proclaimed her love for Satan, and cursed her land, saying that anyone who ever stepped foot upon it will be cursed forever, and then proceeded to hang herself from the tree. But as we know from the Conjuring movies, her spirit still lingered on, and the curse seemed to work. But oddly enough, this wasn't the first time a baby had died while in Bathsheba's care. A few years prior, a baby suspiciously died while she was taking care of it. They found that the baby had a hole in the base of its head the size of a sewing needle, but somehow the court found her not guilty and let her off. But the public wasn't as easily convinced. You see, Bathsheba was actually related to a woman named Mary Town Eastley, who was wrongly accused during the Salem witch trials and executed for her crimes. And she never seemed to get over it. Which made the town folk believe that she really was a witch and that she was evil. I mean, they really weren't wrong still. Now, fast forward to 1970 when the Perrin family moves into Bathsheba's old house with their five daughters. We all know the story from the Conjuring movie and you might think a lot of it's over exaggerated, but I mean it is, but a lot of the stuff that happened in the movie seemed to happen to the Perrin family in real life and they suffered from it for 10 years. They finally contacted Ed and Lorraine Warren who helped them find a way out of the house. But the Perrins did do their research. They found out that eight other families had lived in that house before them and they all died of weird and mysterious deaths. So what do you think? Do you think it was Bathsheba's curse that caused all the trouble after her death? I would believe it 100%, but I want to know your thoughts, so leave it down below. But that's all I got for you guys tonight. I hope you enjoyed tonight's story, and I hope you are enjoying the series. It's almost done. There's two more nights left before Halloween, and I'm really sad. It's almost over, but don't worry. I've got some pretty cool stuff planned. So... That's another YouTube channel that I follow, kind of like, you know, Bailey Sarian that does the mystery history and does makeup talking about things. Um, <clears throat> but here's where this all makes sense to you. So what did she say? Bathsheba is an oath and oaths do matter. And they do have a strong family connection. <laughs> Wait till you see who signed your health care over to the who 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 you're gonna find out who signed you your dna your health care your everything to the who and no it wasn't biden i mean oaths matter right what was the oath that she took oh yeah she took an oath to satan that's right that's what the name actually means wait let me show you so let me show you the family lineage it totally makes sense and i've also, on numerous occasions, expressed to you that while you all think CIA is banned, CIA, well, the CIA, the, more, the majority of it is the State Department. You still don't get it. Well, now you will. Maybe. Sometimes people just don't have ears to hear and eyes to see. They see friends as enemies and enemies as friends until it consumes them and they end up with absolutely nothing. Shiva has held many interesting and demanding jobs and she's excelled at all of them and what I find most uh, uh, rewarding is when I go to meetings um, with peers and with the professionals of different ages and they sort of look around the room and they see the name tag and then they look at me and say 
Are you the father of Sheba Crocker? <laughs> <laughs> and so what she's taught me is that uh, it's her time has come and she's become who she is, uh, an important player in American foreign policy. And so, you know, one thing you learn from that is that the times change and things move on and it's very exciting if you can keep that in the family. <laughs> So the thing that makes me the most proud of my dad is um, I encounter on an almost daily basis in the department, which is just what a beloved boss and leader he was of the AF Bureau during eight years uh, in the 1980s. Um, and I just constantly run into people who worked for him or with him during that time, and they all are always so positive about that experience. And um, that always makes me really proud as your daughter. <laughs> well, I think my dad uh, was an early feminist, um, and he probably wouldn't have admitted it and probably didn't even know it, but I think the thing that he did the most to um, advance gender equality, at least for me and my sisters, was just never to make it an issue. Uh, it just was never a topic of conversation in our house, but in a good way, because my both of my parents um, and, and, and my dad especially just never made me feel like there was one thing that I wasn't going to be able to do or couldn't do or wasn't going to be as good as doing in my life because I was a girl. Well, uh, one bit of advice is to, to remember that um, half the human race needs to be participating in all professions. And it's a matter not only of equity <clears throat> and ethics, it's a matter uh, of, of getting uh, the right uh, sample of the best and brightest so that you can have the best teams and the best professionals. So that's one example. Another, another example is to uh, encourage daughters to follow their passions and to encourage them to follow wherever their career tracks uh, seem to be leading them and don't try to steer them. Well... I'll tell you this, oaths do matter, and it depends what kind of oath this person took, because apparently they took the oath <laughs> of uh, supposedly defending our interests. But then you have to say, what are the interests in the U.S.? Let me give you a little bit of rundown about daddy here. Chester A. Croker is an American diplomat and academic who's best known for his work in African affairs. He was born on October 29th, 1941. 1941 in New York City. Croker is very distinguished. He has a career in public service, academia, and the private sector. He served as Assistant Secretary of State for African Affairs under President Ronald Reagan from 1981 to 1989, where he played a key role in shaping U.S. policy towards Africa during the Cold War. He also served as chairman of the board in the United States Institute of Peace from 2011-2018. His protege, get this, Maria Stefan too. Peace Institute. Why did all these people collude together to create this J6 event, a counter to a counter to a counter, and then all these good people got involved? And it was totally not their fault because they were thirsty for a freaking job in the new Trump administration, losers. Now, I'll say something outside. I have befriended a lot of journalists. Sometimes I come to them as an internet bot, or I actually approach them with my face after 2018. Huh. And I have conversations. And I give them information, then they break some big story. And suddenly they're, you know, elevated to another level of actual investigative journalism. And then suddenly they're intertwined with all these the same circle of influencers. Ask how many of them get talked to by a chat bot. 
before you knew what chatbots are. Now, continuing with Croker, oh, and all of them disappoint at some point or another because they can't stand the heat. Like I said, your true character shows when your back is up against the wall. And consistency always shows you who is on the good side and who is on the bad side. But when you're stuck and you're desperate, you see everyone attacking you rather than seeing that it's your thoughts that are the problem or, shall I say, your intention. One thing about Croker is that he is, uh, he's been a professor of strategic studies at Georgetown University, don't they all, at the State Department, since 1992. And he is the founding director of the African Studies Program there. He's written so many papers and studied African politics and foreign policy. And he's been, you know, dawned on your television set for many decades uh, in the media discussing international affairs because he does have a very prominent role. But you haven't heard about these people from anyone important, have you? Right. Well, let me show you how important they are. Now, this gentleman, Chester, He's wildly recognized as an expert on conflict resolution and has been involved in numerous, and I'm using peace and air quotes, negotiations throughout his career, including Angola, Namibia, and the Western Sahara. He's received so many awards and honors for his contributions to diplomacy and international relations, including receiving the Presidential Citizens Medal in 1989. Oh boy. He sounds like a very meaty topic to discuss, but he's a relic now. And women, according to studies, according to studies, are more prominent in politics and are accepted more because they're being seen in a light of, oh, they're, they're a minority and we need equality when actually women do run this world, Beyonce at least, that satanic woman, uh, suddenly, <clears throat> you know, changed it. Yeah, <laughs> let, me, let me elaborate on that. So as I said, today I'm going to introduce you to Queen Sheba. <laughs> Queen Sheba that made sure that your CDC takes full and unfettered direction from the who. Now, I'll demonstrate to you who she is, but also point out another few things. Now, I'm going to take you back in time, not so far, I guess. Let's see, how far shall I take you now? Let's go back seven years. And let's see what she had to say about refugees. It's very important. Please enjoy. Probably not surprising that the bulk of the questions that came in on Facebook uh, over the last week or so related to the crisis in Syria and the urgent refugee uh, situation that is unfolding because of that crisis. And in fact, we approached the UN General Assembly high-level week in the midst of the largest refugee crisis the world has seen since World War II. There are 7 million men, women, and children who are displaced inside of Syria, and an additional 4 million who are refugees scattered throughout the region. 
And the magnitude and duration of this crisis obviously has stretched the global response thin. We are going to use the um, the advent of the meetings in New York later that start later this week uh, that will involve countries from around the world for important high-level discussions on this crisis, both the humanitarian aspects of the crisis as well as the political aspects of the crisis. Uh, and just as we did when the Ebola crisis was unfolding before us last year, we want to take every opportunity we can to use these meetings strategically uh, and to use the opportunity that they happen to present by all of us being in New York to really make some progress on these issues. We plan to focus on four themes as the United States this year. One is peace and security, another is countering violent extremism, another is development, and another is climate change. And if you look at the refugee crisis that is unfolding and the continued crisis posed by the conflict inside of Syria, in fact, I think they just highlight how important it is for us to address these themes as well as breakdowns and weaknesses in the humanitarian system. And we'll be looking to do that as we head up to New York later in the week. So I'd like to leave Queen Sheba's face up here. I wanted to ponder for a second, but I wanted to point something out. While all of you are sitting there talking about Team Linwood, Team General Flynn, Team this, Team that, Team DeSantis, Team this, Grifter this, Expose this, you're all idiots. Why? Because these people, like this woman on the screen, who signed off all your private identifying health information and your rights as a U.S. citizen to have an independent center for disease control, signed you off to the who? Because you didn't even know who the hell she is. But I can tell you that she's in Hunter Biden's laptop. <laughs> and it's like, wait, what? And while all of us are understanding the whole plot, right? The whole plot. We're getting it now. Okay, so President Trump came in, disrupted their world war, said, okay, let's get on board. Yeah, China, 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 virus, China, China, China. When we all know it's not China. But you know, our military is now drafting and deploying for a war with China. That's going to happen, and I quote, while there'll be elections in Taiwan in 2024 and in the U.S., the U.S. will be distracted with U.S. elections, and therefore, on the conclusion of the U.S. elections, we will be declaring war on China. Okay, so they know they're declaring war, but there's going to be a new president, allegedly, right, in 2024. So who made this plan? <laughs> Let's rewind. When was she talking? Oh, yeah, that's right, 2016. <laughs> Damn. And then in the meantime, I was talking about Cindy McCain and I was telling you, hey, watch this, watch that, watch this, watch that. And now Cindy McCain has been propelled into the world food program of the whole world, right? Leaving Rome, of course. <laughs> and you guys think that you know what's going on. I see people saying Agenda 2030. Dude, that's done. They already completed what they needed. They met their mark. So while we're talking, we're going to confront Pfizer. We're going to confront this. These are little fires. So it's like you're a fire ant at the feet of the giant. You should be knocking people like this out. But instead, people are too busy trying to establish a role where they could just milk you for money and opine and say shit and memes and, oh, let's gather the whole team on Twitter again. Unleash that account. Unleash that. Let's start the memes because that's going to save you because it saved you before, right? The same people that got you into this mess that destroyed the plan to disrupt their plan are the ones telling you that you need to just bind together and meme away. No, what you need to do is grab a Bible, find some peace, and be paying attention to the real players. Take a 40,000-foot view. They're all telling you all these things. Like I said, all I saw was people, Hunter Biden's attorney resigned. No shit. He did that a while ago. 
He's done. He's toast. And the war that you're seeing in our land, train derailments, water poisoning, explosions, that's our own people fighting against our own people. And you don't even see it. And that's sad. And it's so sad. It's really sad. So let's talk about Queen of Sheba for a second. She's a foreign policy expert, according to whatever you find online. And um, she served as the assistant secretary of state for the International Affairs Office uh, under Obama between 2014 and 2017. And during that role, it was her job for coordinating the U.S. engagement with the U.N. and other organizations on issues like peacekeeping and global health. Prior to her government service, she was in the CIA, but you won't find that online. She was a senior advisor and fellow in think tanks, a.k.a. CIA, including the Center for American Progress, also CIA, Center for Strategic and International Studies, another black project funded <laughs> center. She also worked as an attorney in the private sector, specializing in international law and human rights, which was to sue people that would not bend the knee. Now, she's widely respected, well, obviously, by the few, uh, of her expertise in international affairs. Well, daddy helped with that. He helped take Africa and rape them. Not literally, but health-wise. She's written and spoken extensively on all the topics that she's an expert with. Given her expertise in international affairs and her background in public health, how is it not possible that she provided advice and guidance to policymakers during the early stages of the pandemic? See, I am actually telling you because, you know, you never tell the enemy what you're going to do. But, you know, it's 2023. We got to shift the tables and you got to say, hey, all of you that thought that you knew what President Trump was doing, you got suckered. And all of you journalists that became thirsty as shit and thought you knew or that you were in the know, you obviously have no idea what this man has done for us. And you guys help sabotage. But that's how he works. He will appear weak so he can see who his friends are and who the sharks are and start crawling in. Now, one thing you have to understand if I, who am speaking, is telling you this, you better understand that there's a lot of people like me that don't exist that are doing the same thing. I only thought that it was vital and important in order to provide the public information because an informed public is an active public, is an engaged public, which will also then lend credence to the fact that damn, I have my own dedicated hate groups. Everybody doesn't even want to say my name. Don't you dare say her name. Everybody just wants a piece of me. They all get their information from me. I mean, you know, even Stephen Petty, I reached out to all these journalists and you know, I'm well connected and they thought they knew better. Oh, I have a friend and there's this chemist and you know, my aunt, my mom, my dad, all this. I'm so smart. And it's like, um, you obviously don't know what's going on. Let me help. At least Steve Bannon found him. Kudos to you, Steve, for paying attention. And, and weeding out the loser town peeps. Now, this woman is the one that handed over your health. You want to know what's really going on? You got to look at what she's doing. You want to know what's coming? You got to see what she's doing. You've really got to be paying attention. And that's the key. It's worth knowing that um, the World Health Organization um, created a fund when this pandemic started. 
It was called the World Health Organization COVID-19 Solidarity Response Fund. It was a fund that was started by the WHO and its partners in a way to enable individuals, corporations, and organizations to contribute to the global effort to respond to the COVID-19 pandemic. In fact, get the timing. The fund was launched in March of 2020 and has since received donations from a wide range of sources, including governments, philanthropic organizations, and individuals. The COVID-19 solidarity, solidarity, that's the word that Hitler used a lot, didn't he? Yeah, he did. So the COVID-19 solidarity response fund was established to support the WHO's strategic preparedness and response plan for COVID-19, which was supposed to be, um, well, which aimed to actually limit the transmission of the alleged virus, provide care for those who were infected, and accelerate the development of vaccines, therapeutics, and diagnostics. Hold on. <coughs> I'm sorry. March 2020, they wanted to accelerate the use of vaccines. Aha. Uh -huh. Even though China had already done it and had just completed a study. Pay attention to the dates and what I'm telling you. The fund was the one that supported a range of activities with its partners, including the procurement of personal protective equipment. You know, like the masks that Apple hid away and Facebook hid away. You know how they hoarded them? Do you remember that? They were actually partners in this anyway. <laughs> They're part of the fund too. So they got all this PPE equipment for health workers, uh, pr the uh, provision of training and technical assistance to countries and funding the research of development initiatives. It's also worth noting that the COVID-19 Solidarity Response Fund is just one of many initiatives that were launched in response <laughs> to the pandemic. Governments, philanthropic organizations, businesses around the world have contributed significant resources to support the global response to COVID-19 and depopulation, including funding for vaccine development, distribution, gain-of-function research, research on the virus and its impact, and programs to provide assistance to those that they wanted to eliminate first. Now, who partnered with the World Health Organization to create the World Health Organization's COVID-19 Solidarity Response Fund? I think the list of who didn't is easier said. But the World Health Organization's COVID-19 Solidarity Response Fund was established in collaboration with the United Nations Foundation and the Swiss Philanthropy I'm saying this and laughing because I'm angry, okay? This is like one of my wrong responses, psychological wrong responses when you're pissed, right? So this is where I'm pissed, okay? So let me continue. <clears throat> and the Swiss Philanthropy Foundation. Wait, doesn't Jack Max? Couldn't leave it. Now, these organizations partnered with the WHO to create the fund as a way to enable individuals, corporations, and organizations to contribute to the global effort to respond to the COVID-19 pandemic. The United Nations Foundation is a nonprofit. Organize, oh, uh, look, it was established in 1998 by an entrepreneur and philanthropist, Ted Turner. <laughs> Ted Turner, <laughs> obviously Clinton Foundation involved too, to support the work of the United Nations. The foundation works to promote global cooperation and progress on a range of issues, including depopulation, health, gender equality, and of course, climate change. Unless it's Ohio, that's where they just stay silent. 
The Swiss Philanthropy Foundation is a philanthropic organization based, you guessed it, in Geneva, Switzerland, which is totally not unbiased. And it works to support a range of social and environmental causes through the provision of financial and strategic support to nonprofit organizations. Together, these organizations work with the WHO to establish the COVID-19 Solidarity Response Fund as a way to mobilize resources and for the support of global response to the pandemic. The fund has since received donations, donations, donations from a wide range of sources, donations, including governments, donations, including corporations, donations including foundation, donations, including individuals. So who are the key leaders and decision makers of this? Let's say, let's start with the United Nations Foundation. Well, that one is led by a board of directors, which is responsible for overseeing the organization's strategic directions and operations. Uh, The board is actually composed of a diverse group of leaders from the private sector, government, and get this, civil society. Key members include Ursula Winhoven, the chief of governance and social sustainability at the International Telecommunication Union. Tachi Kazal, the founder and CEO of Malaria No More. The Director General of the World Trade Organization. Timothy Worth, the Vice Chair of the Board and former U.S. Senator and Undersecretary for State Global Affairs. Kathy Calvin. She's the President and CEO of the United States, uh, the United Nations Foundation. But aside from the Board of Directors, the United Nations Foundation has a number of key decision makers, including its senior management team and staff. Senior management team is obviously responsible for the day-to-day operations of the organization, which is like including people, you know, into the conversation, global health, hospitals, private, um, uh, private identifying health information, individuals like the air system, and then, 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 then. The staff of the United Nations Foundation work across a variety of departments and initiatives and are responsible for implementing their programs and initiatives around the world. But the thing is, now let's compare that to who the decision makers of the Swiss, Swiss Philanthropy Foundation are. I want you guys to pay attention to this one. Because they're responsible for setting the strategic direction and the organization and overseeing the operations. That board is comprised of individuals with a diverse background and expertise, including philanthropy, finance, 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 law, and social impact. Some key members of the board are Marie Jose Cave, a senior fellow at the Hudson Institute and chair of the Board of Trustees of the Museum of Modern Art in New York. How quaint. Nicolas Pitet, a partner at the Swiss private bank. Pitet, Etsy. Oh, it kind of sounds like private bank, but oops. Florence Scheinberg Moser, she's the vice chair of the board and the founder, get this, of the Geneva based philanthropy advisory firm. 
Foundation filias means friendship foundation. You know, you Anons want to dig. Why don't you dig on some real ass shit? I'm giving you a ton here. Please revisit the episode and get some work done. We got work to do. We got to fix this and we got to take these people out of the picture. We need to be calling them by name. That is how you expel demons. Eve's Mirabad. She's actually the chairman of the board. And she's also managing partner of Miraditsi, another Swiss private bank, which works with Bedeckditsi. But, you know, I digress. How do you get? <laughs> Stephanie Graber, partner at the law firm Lenz and Stalin, specializing in tax and estate planning for prominent individuals and families. Hmm. This is key. This is key. In addition to the board of directors, the Swiss Philanthropy Foundation has a number of key decision makers, including their executive management team and staff. The executive management team is responsible for overseeing, you know, day-to-day -day operations, just like in any other foundation. And then, you know, their key decision makers help implement it around the world. Right, Tac Maxi? So uh, let's see. How can we, you know, fix this? First of all, you shine light. So let's, so let's keep going on, you know, the oath keeper, right? She knows her oath. You know where that oath is, right? Right? She knows. Based on the articles that you can see online, you'll see that there's no information about her. Practically none. But she was just appointed U.S. mission in Geneva, right? She's now the U.S. representative to the United Nations and other international organizations in Geneva with the rank of ambassador by Joe Biden, of course. And I urge you guys, since Garrett Ziegler has been so kind, go look up her shit. Just type her name in, type part of her name in. Maybe you'll find some interesting emails. Now, it's important to know in this role, she'll serve as the chief U.S. diplomat to the U.N. and other international organizations, so many, like the U.N. Foundation, like the COVID Response Foundation, like the Swiss Foundation, like, 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 like. Prior to this appointment, she held a number of senior roles in the U.S. government, including Assistant Secretary of State for I.O. She was the I.O. office under Secretary under President Obama, Senior Advisor to the Deputy Secretary of State under President Biden. She's also held positions um, in nonprofits and philanthropic sectors, including as Vice President, get this, of the Humanitarian Programs and Policy at CARE USA. What is CARE? We'll get into that where she oversaw the organization's global emergency response programs. Oh, you mean, wasn't that what the CDC said as to why they're following who? Because that is the global emergency response program. I'm pointing out. And here's the fun part. Want to hear something super fun? So I have told everyone this and no one's reported it, but I guess someone's going to drop it on their sub stack maybe in a year from now. So at least three years have gone by so they could tell you it's fucking brand new news, right? Kind of like, hey, we stole the Ukraine elections, wrote it on my affidavit. Nah, she's a pantser. She's this. Oh, guess what? Who's writing that now? Oh, all of them are. <laughs> oh, shit. They could have just read my affidavit. But anyway, I digress. 
So in a couple of years from now, you'll hear about Care USA. So I'm telling you now so you understand it, right? So <laughs> uh, that's where that came from. So she has apparently extensive work um, experience. I mean, her dad groomed her very well. But I can tell you that she is Samuel Berger's protege, like priming her in to take the slot. In fact, actually, if I remember correctly, in a Hunter Biden laptop email, that's exactly how they referred to her. Whew, go figure. Go figure. Hmm. So, Care USA, she oversaw the organization's Global Emergency Response Program and uh, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, not surprised, right? Considering her dad almost seemed like he could have been Bill Gates when he was in Africa, but I digress. Care USA is a nonprofit. And if you guys watch the documentary Enjoy the Show, which is on my YouTube, please take a look at the foundation upon foundation. That's like such a CIA op. But anyway, let's continue. <clears throat> it was actually founded in 1945. <laughs> it's called the Cooperative for American Remittances to Europe. Unpack that. Cooperative for American Remittances to Europe. We'll pause right there. Have a nice little musical break. And we'll be back with more on that. Let that kind of ponder, percolate a little bit. And I'll see you in a bit. But just remember, don't let anyone tell you you're the underdog because you're definitely not. Their control over you is massive because you're allowing them to have control over you. Just stand up. You have nothing to lose. You've already lost it. You just don't know it yet. And this is where you take it back. So let's take a short break with a musical internude. Huh. Let's stay alive. Let's go. Almost like they know. Teachers, leave those kids alone. They knew. They all knew. Now, while many think that, <laughs> you know, I'm going to leave this just as a statement, totally disconnected from the Cooperative for American Remittances to Europe. Almost sounds like, <laughs> uh, here's a random statement. They gave you a curfew when COVID happened. They said you're not allowed to leave your house after 10 p.m. and you can resume your travel after a certain time in the morning. And you are thinking, boy, does COVID come out at night? <clears throat> you know what that reminds me of? Let me see if I can find the sound clip. Let me see if I can find the sound clip. Reminds me of something like <clears throat> this. Hold on. Let me get it for you. Just going to play it. Totally random to what we're talking about right now, okay? Another mu musical.
So let's get back to the content of the show while you let that percolate for a sec. Now let's talk about the Cooperative for America Remittances in Europe. Allow me to share with you information that you can actually go back and look at yourself. I'm going to take you through their YouTube channel. And we're going to scroll down through all of it because it's important that you see who is part of this. It's really important that you see who is here. So <laughs> let's start at the beginning. There we go. Um, look at all these people here. Let me just, Millicent Obasso. Nice. Obama, 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 Obama. Almost seems like <laughs> it all had a channel. <laughs> and sprouted up with Obama, even though it was established in 1945. Let's continue. Hmm. Let's see. What common characters do we have here? Chuck Hagel. Hmm. Interessante. Right? Very interesting. Eric Hart. Interessante. Obama. Senator. Senator. Jeff Sachs. Senator. Senator. Jeff Sachs. Eric Hart again. There we go. Senate hearing confirming that ducks float. Oh. Are you kidding? Nope. Oh, look. There she is again. Oh, Johnny Isaacson, Tom Harkin, Richard Luger, Senator Shaheen. Oh, look, Kiev Klobuchar is right here. <laughs> Remember the picture that I was sharing like crazy when everyone loved me because they thought that I was part of their team. <laughs> uh, I don't work for anyone. <laughs> but the people of the United States. But remember how everyone loved me when I had that picture of McCain, Kiev Klobuchar, and Lindsey Graham? And remember how everyone loved Lindsey Graham, right? And remember how I told you Lindsey Graham but was gay, but nobody believed it. And then they came out with that whole escort thing years later, and everyone was like, oh. oh who else do we have here? Eduardo Martinez. We also have Secretary Hillary Clinton. You know what? I think it's really important that we look at this Congo video, and then we'll go back to trolling to see who else is here. My delegation and I have been working hard even before we came to see what we could do to try to assist in the ongoing efforts to end the conflict and the violence that still stalks this land and to help the Congolese people who have suffered enough. I have just come from a meeting with uh, two survivors of sexual attacks. The atrocities that these women have suffered, which stand for the atrocities that so many have suffered, distills evil into its basis form. These acts don't just harm a single individual, or a single family, or a single village, or a single group. They shred the fabric that weaves us together as human beings. Such atrocities have no place in any society. Amid such abject society, we've also seen the hope and the help that you represent. We have seen survivors of these attacks summon the courage to rebuild their lives. Courage, courage. You know what's courage? The people that she sacrificed in Benghazi. Now that's courage. The soldiers that were sacrificed in Benghazi. That's courage. That's courage. Now let's go back to the beginning again. Let's, let's, let's go back to the beginning. 
And I urge all of you, see, I'm not going to sit here and tell you what to, what, what the, what the solution is. I'm showing you where you could see it yourself. You know, then maybe you can understand the CARES Act better. Because the misdirection and the misinformation because of the Dunning-Kruger effect is disgusting. And then when you actually, you know, a sound person comes out and says, hey, maybe you should do this, and they bring it up to their overlords, well, suddenly they're not going to report on it. Ugh. But it's okay. There's a special place in hell for people like that. All right, so let's get back to <clears throat> who is part of this. It's almost like it's the same player again and again and again, all the same people. But that was referring to the Congo. You know where Dr. Jill Biden and Hunter Biden with that guy, Patrick Ho, totally embezzled money, right? And and Patrick Ho got done in for that, but nobody's talking about how he helped facilitate the money transfer to Iran for Obama. But I digress again. Sarah Michelle Geller, of course you would have CAA involved, right? Let's see, what else? What else do we have here that tickles your eyes? Hmm? Atlanta mayor, damn, all right there. Martin Luther King III speaks of the Haitian tragedy. Hmm? Let's continue so you can see. And these, let me tell you something, rule of thumb. And, and, and this, I'm just gonna say it, and you can either take it as it is, or you can ignore it because that's the choice you have, right? If you know their name, if you see their face, they're not key players in anything. If they tell you that they have proximity to people because you see them with them, you know, selfies and shit, or in the news coming out, it's bullshit. The people that actually matter, you don't even hear them. In fact, if you do, you're told not to listen because you must obey them, right? Because they know best, of course. So let me make this bigger now. Let's continue. Um, let's continue the scroll through. I want you guys to see origins of your care act. Terry Vaughn, Jennifer Lester. Oh, look at all this Haiti stuff. <laughs> Y'all know what's going on. Wait, wait till we get to Ohio and Haiti. Now that's going to be fun. Oh, you remember her. Okay. Remember her now? We'll see. She'll come around. Oh, look, John Kerry, Ted Poe. We should keep going, right? Oh, there's Clinton again. Oh, there's Durbin. Dick Durbin, right? Oh, McDermott. Let's keep going. Lewis. Oh, look, Janice is here. Oh, a lot of Clinton. <laughs> a lot of Clinton. I mean, Haiti, Clinton. Haha. Uh -huh. See, this is real news. This is the source of things. This is old news, but this tells you. Oh, look, Zoe Longfriend. Dick Durbin again. Why is it that the same people are there? Dr. Shaw. You know, you should look into his role. Let's keep going. Look at all these familiar faces that just keep recycling. UN Secretary General Ban Ki-moon. Mm. South Korea in the mix here, right? Let's keep going. Look at all these faces. Amazing faces. Dick Luger. Are you, uh, for those that can watch, I'm, I'm mentioning names that are important. I just want you to see how this guy is looking at her. Rep Crenshaw. I thought he had an eye patch. Huh? I did show you the daddy-daughter thing. Okay, just making sure. Um, let's see. Isaacson again. Lewis again. Lewis again. Let's keep going. See, this is real journalism. 
for me, it's knowledge, work product. So, you know, it's really not fair to say they all suck, but I'm just showing you how all of them are not doing anything because anybody can find this. Let's keep going. Hmm. Let's keep going. Hmm. Let's keep going. All this cool stuff because 2030 is already done. Oh, no, it's not. Okay. Hold on. Let me show you how it's done. Let's see. So when the train wreck happened, I said, well, you know, and I've talked about the cities and the country before, you know, now everyone's like, oh, many people ask me, why'd you move to Cleveland? Because it's going to be the first 15 minute city. You know, at CPAC, the Secretary of State of Ohio, that I was screaming at the top of my lungs at, that I was hoping that I would garner the intention of some anons or some independent journalist that would be like, damn, what's going on here? No one spoke because they're bought. Or they thought, uh, uh, it's not going to make me money, so I'm not going to talk about it. But now everyone's finding out that, that uh, Cleveland is the first 15-minute city. And in order to have the 15-minute city also, you have to roll out internet voting. And this guy is at your CPAC at the Reagan dinner. That's all I have to say. And this guy is the guy that has a family business that created a government-funded for-profit, non-profit, whatever you want to call it, NGO, that's a WEF partner. But you know, Republican all the way, man. That's how stupid people think. I'm just going to follow that group right off the damn cliff. Right off the damn cliff. Let me show you the Council of Global Affairs and CFR spinoff center, Obamatown. Let me show you the real conjuring here today explores cities and the world order. Please welcome Bathsheba Crocker, Vice President for Humanitarian Policy and Practice, CARE USA, and Ian Klaus, Senior Fellow, Chicago Council on Global Affairs. So, you have a mid-century modern masterpiece influenced by the likes of Le Corbusier and Oscar Niemeyer under the belief that a new urbanism could shape a new half-century. A nice garden to walk in, a museum-level art collection, and one of the loveliest bars in the whole world. Overlooking the East River, when it overflows, people spill out onto the veranda. It's no wonder NGOs and cities and city networks seek to influence and seek entry into the United Nations. We have here on stage Sheba Crocker, uh, as the description said, Vice President at CARE USA for Humanitarian Policy and Practice. And from 2014 to 2017, the Assistant Secretary of State for the Bureau of International Organizations, which oversees all of the United States relations and management with the United Nations system. Yeah, I'm trying to make the United Nations sexy. <laughs> it's after six. You risk losing people when you say the UN. But the truth is, the multilateral system today that's under stress, in part because of reasons Jillian just laid out, um, in part because of ossification of institutions, is also under stress because new powers are seeking entry into it. Some of those new powers are states. Some of those new powers are cities and city networks. So I'm wondering, as Assistant Secretary, but also in your new role, 
how you've thought about sovereignty, international organizations, multilateral institutions, solving global problems in an urban era. Um, so thanks. And yeah, it is sometimes tough to make the UN seem sexy, but the bar is really good. Um, so, uh, so, I mean, obviously, you could approach that question from a lot of different angles. And I think certainly from the perspective that I sat in um, until 2017, um, I was often struck that in so many ways, as you outlined, the UN system, which is a system, needless to say, that was built up at the end of World War II to deal with a certain set of understood challenges at that time, um, many of which it is still to this day dealing with, right? So you still have the UN Security Council as the preeminent body on you know, the maintenance of international peace and security, and built up around a system of nation states and on the basis of a certain understanding of sovereignty, was more and more being asked to deal with the crises of today. Um, and we often say, and it's, you know, it's sort of a well-understood maxim that the UN is not fit for purpose. Um, and that can mean a lot of different things, right? It can mean that the UN Security Council is anachronistic in its makeup, which is fair. Um, and it can also mean that it's a system that was not set up to deal with the transnational challenges, with all of the transnational challenges that we face today. So, you know, climate change is an example, terrorism is an example. And so what you've seen over the years is an attempt um, by the system to sort of figure out in different ways and often on an ad hoc basis how it's going to approach these issues. Um, and normally what that means, because you have a system that has grown up on the basis of, um, you know, certain countries having certain amounts of power in the system and not wanting to lose that power, and for other countries, particular organs of the UN in particular cities having resonance because they may have a lot of employees there or what have you, right? There's a lot of reluctance to change. And so what that often means is you sort of get new coordinating bodies and, you know, you get new special envoys appointed for this or that, but fundamental change hasn't really happened. And I think when you layer on top of that the fact that there are, for example, cities of, in some cases, enormous size, right, who have a certain amount of clout and, and economic might and what have you to bring to the table, it's really, you know, hard to figure out how you adapt the system in ways that are going to make that kind of relationship workable, particularly, by the way, in an era, I think, where because of, you know, populism and some of the other trends that we're seeing from a geopolitical perspective, um, there's sort of a doubling down on this kind of pro-sovereignty sense uh, that I think makes it even harder for those of us who sit in NGOs, for sure, but I imagine also um, for cities and other actors that are trying to sort of get a purchase um, in the system. Um, uh, well, as a brief aside, when I was negotiating at the UN, I often would get criticized um, by fellow diplomats for saying that I didn't have a poker face. Um, I have a poker face enough to hide the fact that we don't have a clock running, and so I have no idea how much time we have left or to go. So if we could uh, just have that start wherever it should yeah. be, that would be uh, of great help to us. Um, uh, some organizations um, that I think have admitted that they would benefit from better urban expertise include, uh, the list could be very long, but the Department of Defense, the U.S. Army, uh, a number of regional development banks, including uh, the Asian Development Bank, 
Uh, the list of organizations that seem to be about one thing, but in fact are urban focused, is quite long as well. Uh, that could include Uber, Airbnb, and Lyft, global operations that essentially uh, work almost exclusively in urban settings. Um, there's one question about the role and the sort of ad hoc nature of adapting the challenges. Uh, there's another question about uh, efficacy and knowledge. Um, how do global organizations such as Care USA, but also such as the USA Department or multilateral organizations like the United Nations, operate simultaneously in mega cities and secondary and ter tertiary cities around the world? How do, we, how do we sort of conceive of that challenge? Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it is a kind of a new, it's not new, but it's new-ish, right, in the sense that those of us who um, operate in this, you know, the field that I operate in now, right, the humanitarian sector, um, we didn't grow up around the set of challenges that we have today. Um, and we didn't grow up, we, didn't, we weren't conceived of, and nor was the UN system conceived of, to deal with the kind of crises and challenges that we face today in the settings that we face them. And so it seems to me that you can kind of approach this from two, two different levels. I mean, I'm sure multiple levels, but at least two, right? Because one is, it's just a question of how you function and can you be effective, right? So if you're an operational agency like CARE is, um, and you, um, you know, and we grew up around uh, responding to humanitarian crisis by and large meant responding to natural disaster and mostly meant responding in rural settings. And now the vast majority of our response to humanitarian crisis is in protracted conflict um, and often uh, responding uh, in urban settings as opposed to in rural settings. And so again, it's this kind of idea, and particularly I think when you look at kind of a behemoth like the UN system, of adapting a sort of creaky, not fit for purpose system to a really new setting where it's really much more difficult to, to operate and understand how to operate. Right, and then you have the sort of the other layer of the role that cities might be able to play in terms of um, particular kinds of expertise that can be brought to bear. So to get to the point around kind of like the, the, the use of information and data, right? I mean, there's a whole set of institutions in the UN system um, that is meant to provide the kind of scientific and technical grounding and basis upon which so much of our daily life operates that we never even think about. It's become immensely more complicated, I think, when you think about you know, how you deal then with the wealth of information um, that resides in particular cities when you deal with cities of sort of enormous size. Um, and actors, again, on the international stage that rival some of the nation states that have a particular kind of seat at the table in the UN system. And it's funny when you think about a sort of a system that grew up around an agreement, um, right? There's kind of this pay to play aspect to the UN because um, all member states pay in a certain amount, right? And, um, and by virtue of that, you get a particular kind of seat at the table. And, um, and when you think about cities in the world um, or states in the United States or elsewhere that themselves have a bigger GDP than some of the biggest donors into the UN system, um, you know, you can conceive of a more fundamental shift around global governance, uh, potentially. But I think you would have to think about things in a really different way because it seems to me, you know, be, sitting as a city and trying to, to, to sort of uh, engage with this system probably feels hugely frustrating on numerous levels, but including because you're just never going to have the same kind of voice in the current setup, right, as a sovereign state does. 
Um, and so maybe we really do, and I mean, I think there is an argument that we really, in some ways, do need to be thinking about a more fundamental reconception of the city, but it's all, of the system, but it's incredibly challenging and fraught. Um, and usually too scary even to contemplate, right? Because you sort of fall back on the, well, you know, if we didn't have the UN, we'd have to create it, and we, would ne we don't live in a world now in which would be, we would be able to create the system. In the let's, let's, do, let's do a little exercise there. Um, not inventing it anew. But uh, as we're all familiar with, cities have become more active on the global stage um, in a certain world order. Uh, global cities, one of the, uh, the Pritzker forums, uh, you know, the title that, that we see there, um, is in fact a product of um, a certain um, capitalist and largely often democratic uh, international system with institutions that were built by the uh, United States and allies soon after. Many people think that that order is under strain, um, that the long-standing alliances are fraying, that the institutions are archaic. Um, and that norms are collapsing by the day. Cities have built networks uh, and global advocacy in part based on the assumption that it would be a liberal system, that it was important to advocate at uh, global institutions like the UN um, and to organize around global challenges like climate. Is there a scenario in which the sort of openness in which we've seen the rise of cities uh, starts, to, starts to close or looks dramatically different? I mean, I think there's no question that there's a potential for that. Um, you know, it also seems to me that there's a real potential for cities to play a kind of both advocating and diplomatic role in helping to maintain the openness um, of that system and the importance of that system, right? Because it's certainly under strain. Um, and, you know, you and I were talking in the taxi a bit on the way over about, um, you know, the challenges that the system is facing now because of the retreat of the United States in certain ways because of the rise of populism, because of the doubling down on sovereignty that are making all kinds of questions from the maintenance of norms around humanitarian assistance to addressing you know, problems like climate change and terrorism um, to looking at human rights situations in countries and the list goes on and on, right? Making all of those things more challenging. And so I think there's an incredibly important um, sort of uh, role that could be played to help um, fill in some of what is, a, you know, is sort of a growing vacuum in some ways um, that is really challenging to the system because, you know, and, and from where I sat before and from where I sit now, you know, you can see the difference that it makes when the United States is much more involved and more or less operating as a force for good in, in holding up that system, as creaky as it was. And when that is sort of pulled out in the way that it's being now, um, it's leaving an enormous vacuum and it's leaving room um, for actors uh, who want to close that space, right, to have much more um, running room than they traditionally have. And, you know, questions around civil space for civil society actors is closing, and I expect, you know, some similar threats are there for other kinds of, you know, voices, non-state actors, as they're called in the UN system. Um, to, to sort of uh, play the same kinds of roles that, um, that we've come to expect. It's interesting that the question about diplomacy and um, outreach to populations, I mean, we have just a second here, but Bill Burns writes in his new book, um, which is a tremendous overview of diplomacy over the last 30 years, uh, that diplomacy is often secret and about building relationships in private, um, and, and it's a, a tilling the garden, of course, as, as Kenan said. But, um, uh, it also is, if you're a city diplomat, or if you're participating in the Pritzker Forum uh, over the next few days, it's also about parties. City diplomacy is a very visible 
um, very outwardly uh, presentable uh, practice that has as its sort of, as a fundamental premise, you have to make a political case for diplom diplomatic engagement. Um, and so I, I do think that, that there's a question about whether these institutions can somehow have more parties. <laughs> Uh, I have a mission, it's a secret mission, Shiva doesn't know about it, which is to, to turn every uh, senior U.S. diplomat and national security official into an urbanist. Um, and, and part of that is by seeing how many we can get to, to city-focused events and then having them um, inundated by other folks uh, for the rest of the two days. And so uh, I invite you to share with Shiva over the next couple days how you look at global challenges from an urban perspective, but right now to thank her for joining us tonight. Wow. Her body language was like, all right, thirsty dude, you're never going to be my friend. I know you want this slot, but you're not cut from the same cloth we are. Speaking of, uh, you know, importance of mayors, and this is why I wanted to show, while people are telling you, warning, smart cities are coming. Mm, we've been talking about that. <clears throat> Almost like I just found out Jim Hoft, such a big fan. I mean, the Gateway Pundit w listens to all my old shows and then pretends to be breaking news when it's not breaking news after it's the law, you freaking idiots. When I talked about it and I shared it, it was the time that you should take what I said and report it to the people. Oh, guess what? They're going to be tracking your guns with your cards and you won't be able to purchase guns. It's not news. You see how you destroy influence operations? <laughs> and me, this nobody. And nobody wants to say the name. Well, they're closing up shop right soon. No more deals. Exit ramps were done. Now, speaking of mayors, Colorado. We've got a Benghazi hero running for mayor in a very important city in Colorado. You guys better have your eye on TIG for mayor. TIGforMayor.com. More to come on that in the next few days. Really, really important. Now, on another note, while people are selling you the fear porn, telling you the failures, I want you guys to know that we are at least seven months ahead in completion. I want you to see how things have already been done. I want you to see Oh, I don't because then you get lazy and you're back into the 2018 pocket. So I'm going to shut up. Maybe sweating a little bit will help you because people need to sweat a little bit to understand that freedom isn't free. People need to sweat a little bit. Now, speaking of COVID and uh, lab leak and um, organizing all that stuff, let's see what this oath to Satan keeper has to say about that. What, Tori, she's not, wait, no, let's see what she has to say about it. Like, let's just see. Cause you know, there's a lot of people and I'm gonna say this, I've said this many times. If you see them with important people, well, you might catch a glimpse of them sometimes, but if you see them in thirsty ways with important people, if they're talking about them, if they're talking, they don't talk about people that are important. They only talk about people that don't really matter. Aside from the president, because he's the one that stepped in the gap for us. But if they're talking about them as leaders in movements, I'm going to tell you what, it's usually the damn opposite. So, <clears throat> and if they're talking, to, <laughs> talking about them as if they're insiders, 
definitely the opposite. So let's start talking about, you know, we said leak China lab, right? It was a Chinese lab, of course. Hmm. Okay, sure. Um, and at the moment, uh, I'm not really employed, although I'm about to start a fellowship at the Brookings Institution and the University of Pennsylvania. I just participated this evening as a storyteller, um, and uh, it really was a fantastic uh, experience in a great environment. You know, the USGAM puts on some real shows. We did say lab leak. Oh, yeah, Chinese lab leak, right? I think, right? That's what they say. Whatever it takes. It's been one year since Russia's brutal, unjustified invasion of Ukraine. And for those of us who work in the multilateral system, uh, this work has had enormous implications. And we thought it would be useful to reflect briefly on what some of those implications have been and what our work has looked like since that time. Two things have been paramount for the United States. One is to ensure that we stand up strongly in support of the global order and the UN Charter and international law. And the second is to ensure that we stand in strong support of the people of Ukraine and stand up for Ukraine's territorial integrity. At NATO, allies have been focused primarily on three separate lines of effort in their support for Ukraine and their support for defending the global order. First and foremost, allies have come together on a regular basis, almost weekly, to share intelligence and determine how they can support the Ukrainian people and the Ukrainian military. Secondly, NATO is providing non-lethal assistance in the form of winter gear, fuel, and generators which are especially critical right now. And lastly, because Russia has shown its complete disregard for the core tenets of the UN Charter, NATO allies are reinforcing the eastern flank to ensure that the alliance can protect every inch of its territory. For those of us who work across UN entities in Geneva, the work has essentially taken place along four lines of effort. The first is holding Russia to account, and we've seen that through actions in the Human Rights Council and also actions to ensure that Russia doesn't hold leadership positions in organizations whose fundamental underpinnings, its invasion of Ukraine, is flouting. A second has been ensuring that the humanitarian system has the support, financial and otherwise, that it needs to deal with the catastrophic humanitarian crisis that Russia's invasion has caused, both for the people inside Ukraine, people who have had to flee Ukraine and are in the region, and people all around the world suffering from the global implications, particularly the food insecurity. The third is to ensure that UN entities are able to keep account of and take stock of Russia's destruction and damage inside Ukraine and what it will take to rebuild Ukraine after this war ends. And the fourth is to ensure that we do not treat this situation as business as usual. The global order cannot be taken for granted. We have to defend and uphold its core principles. And that's why the United States, working with its allies and partners around the world, will continue to support Ukraine for as long as it takes. Well, nothing can stop what's coming. So whatever length they want to take, it won't. I'm going to tell you something. And, and you, again, you don't have to listen to me. I'm just making statements. And you could take them as you wish. You're hearing them tell you that the global order already exists. 2030 is already here. And all these clowns within your Republican and Democrat parties on a local level have already signed you away. I just showed you the woman that signed away all your health rights. Yeah, for some reason, you think because Biden's team is breaking apart, it's news. 
honey, honey, why you no like what I'm telling you? There's a lot happening that you don't see. There's a war right now. Oh, he was probably CIA. Do you know who's actually fighting for you right now? Hypothetical situation. Maybe in some agency that you don't know the name of. Yo, Bob, I heard that Alice is going to be tipping some trains because they want to push this climate change stuff. How are we going to do this? This is the Operation XYZ. Eve hears that. Eve tells other people, hey, they're doing, Alice is doing this. Bob knows what Alice is doing and they're talking. And I'm telling you as Eve, this is what's happening. All right, let's trip them up. Let's start it up. Let's make a mistake. Oops. I thought you said over there. No, I said over there. I thought you said with this. No, I said this. Why did you do it on that train? It had this. No, it's like this. Well, let's just derail a few others so we can actually stir it up. Well, they're going to go over there and do that. Okay, well, then they'll explode that. Well, then how do we tell people not to? Uh, This is a spy versus spy thing. The war is already here. The revolution is happening and you just can't see it. Now, in one sense, these idiots that are online opining and telling you things, right? With like 1% truth and 99% bullshit and having you focused on stupid topics that really don't matter. Tell me how it matters to you that Hunter Biden's team left, you know, a few weeks ago and they're telling you now. Or tell me how, and I'm really pissed. Like, I'm so disappointed in Jim Hoff. Like, do I really have to do the same thing I did to Tracy Beans? And she's even supposedly under protection. Why would he talk about the weapons now? I want you to think about it. Distractions. Because it's already done. Distractions. So in a sense, it's good that the normies that can't think for themselves, that can't fight for freedom, that don't know how to do things, that they're distracted. Because as long as they're distracted, it's whatever. But I feel bad for them because they're getting maimed money, time, and effort. Because some of them are actually putting in effort into the bullshit that they're being fed. And there's a lot of people thumping it because it's like, look over here. Oh, look at this shit show. But don't look at the facts. Don't look at the shit you can change. Just let the other people do it. No, the other people need your help too. Because this cannot be won by the other people. Because then we're right back at the same place. This is why it's important when we conclude our 250 years that we are in a position that this never happens again. That people see it almost like the way Eisenhower tried to take people. Oh, let's walk through all these graves where they killed all these Jews so people remember what happened. (laughs) Well, the version of what happened that they tell you. And that's the thing. They've exhausted you. And that is the whole purpose of the distraction. They want you exhausted. They want you to tune out. So that way you can step back. Now, part of the good guys, I guess, and I'm going to use air quotes. They're like, yeah, we should keep them distracted. So you just stay out of it. And it's like, dude, fuck you. You're not giving enough credit to the people. The reason you're eating, breathing, living where you live and traveling is because of the people. Again. Things have already happened. You're just not seeing it. Well, you're getting glimpses of it. So if it's mainstream, it's lamestream. It's still fake news. Independent journalists or alt media or whatever are distraction operations. They're all influence operations. They drain everything from you, your attention, your energy, and your focus. They tell you things that are low level because they consider you stupid. Fact. 
That's fact. And this is why they don't like me, because I say it like it is. And I'm okay. I'm totally okay. Because I've seen it with journalists that I've worked with for 10 years, 15 years, five years, three years, five minutes. It's all about them in the end. What do they get? What do they get? And they get greedy, greedy, greedy. And they get envious, envious, envious. So this is why we have to turn them off. And you know what? I'm going to say something. So I had someone talking to me the other day and said, Tori, you know, I'm really sad, you know, that people keep bashing you, you know, with this, with that GoFundMe they did for your car and stuff. I said, why? Well, they're trying to make it look. And I was like, that's fine. They're just jealous. And actually it shows their true colors because they can't fathom fathom that the people would look at someone nobody talks about. Oh, she's a nobody. Nobody, you know, nobody watches your stuff. Bitch, I got your IPs. You, you think you know computers. You think I don't know who's watching? You think I don't know who downloads? I don't know who streams? <laughs> That's funny. 2000 Mule showed you, you could find everything. This is why there's a lot of big names that when they hear my name, all they do is shriek. I thought I was a nobody. This is why I have my own hate group. I thought I was a nobody. You see? Because I am nobody. I am the people. I am with the people. Nothing that comes out on my platforms or what I share is solely for me. It's the people. And that's how it's done. I have the best intelligence community. Why? Because their motivation is not a paycheck. It's making sure that their kid's future is fantastic. It's to make sure that they're in control of their money and their <laughs> prosperity. That's what's up. So, no more nice guy. I've cut the last cords. You know, I tried real hard. I did. And I may not be the most eloquent, but at least I'm straightforward. Now, on a note, um, tomorrow I will be having an early show um, because I will be doing something that I'll tell you guys about another time. And um, Sunday, I'm thinking Sunday at some point, maybe this Sunday or next, I will be having um, a special guest, someone I showcased, someone I said was the only one that was talking since when the COVID lockdowns came. Oh, I remember just as the foundation was set up in March of 2020, you know, and how we got the CARES Act and how we were paying people to label everyone as COVID. Oh, by the way, I'm going to reach out to Dr. Jensen. Do you remember him in Minnesota? They're trying to come after his medical license. You remember him? So funny story, because you all saw him on Ingram and everywhere. You all saw um, my friend Chris Berg, even on the cue board. Funny story about that. Let me tell you. So I've said this before. Here I am where I'm like having a quick conversation with a journalist friend of mine. I, I tell you, this person is from God. Like for me, like it's a safe space. And, you know, we don't even talk a lot lately only because he's into more of his local stuff. But anyway. We were having a conversation and, um, and it was like, look, I'm interviewing this person. And I was like, oh, really? Hey, send a document. Ask him if they get paid for every COVID death. He's like, what? The government wouldn't do that. I was like, dude, just fucking ask him. He's like, well, I have to come. This is what loser reporters say. They don't take a jump to just ask a question. You don't look like an idiot if you ask a question. 
right? Because dumb reporters are like, well, I need to analyze. No, you can ask questions. Saying something is a statement is different. Asking questions is important. And that's why he's going to be a good investigate. That's why he is a good journalist. So I said, just ask him the damn question. He's a doctor. Ask him the question. Just say, do you get paid? And there he is on the show live five minutes later. And he's like, so let me ask you a question. So, so he gave it to his producer and he's like, just have it ready just in case it's, it's a bona fide document. Right. And this is how I help journalists in general. Everywhere. Right. And I'm not telling you this to be like, hey, I was a source. I'm telling you that there's a lot of me's out there doing the same thing. And so what journalists do usually is they turn their nose up. Who the fuck are you? I'm not talking to you. Right. Or they're like Tracy Beans. They look into their background. They're like, hey, I can't find anything on you or I find sketchy shit. And it's like, yeah, usually when you're a threat to the government, they will come after your character if they can't hustle you off into a black site or, you know, kill you. Right and have their hands clean. So as we're having this conversation, he jumps on air five minutes later, live on air. He's like, hey, Dr. Jensen, like, you know, is there any possibility that the hospitals are getting any money, you know, for, for you know, if the beds that they have are, you know, COVID patients or if they die? He goes, yeah, absolutely. I think it's a, he's like, so would a number like 80,000, 100,000, whatever it was, be precise. He goes, actually, yeah, that's true. If we put it as COVID and we're told to put it as COVID, we get more money. And suddenly it became news. Why? Because even though I gave it to other journalists, they were like, well, I need to verify. No, you know what verify means? I need to go back to my overlords, show it to them. Then they will tell me if it's valid or not. Usually they'll tell them, no, it's not valid or we're not putting that out. And that's how you bury a story. So I know that a lot of these journalists troll my shit right? They do. I mean, the New York Times said it best. Tori, it, I know it says she only has 25,000 followers, but it's not true because she's like uh, 900th in the world out of 8 billion people. So she's skewing her numbers. Her articles show that only one person read them. Yeah, because I do that manually. You don't need to know how many people watch my shit. See, because then they can't see you coming as a threat. That is the definition. That is the definition of having camouflage, digital camouflage. And, you know, not a lot of people listen to that and they got banned off of channels because they still don't understand how that shit works. And that's okay. They'll learn. I mean, well, not, not many of them will survive. They've gone to the darkest corners. They've gotten into like these conspiracies. Not to say that most of the conspiracies aren't true. But it's not time. What we need to do is focus on the prize. You know, it's like saying, oh, you know, it's like having, you know, access to, to have a direct hit to the Hitler, but then you're looking at the little pawns or the side things or little side groups of Hitlers. Like, why are you doing that? Why are you spreading your troops? Well, that's okay. Because we, the people, are the biggest troop. And that's how we fix it. And, you know, even Mike Lindell has been attempting to do that. And all people have done is grifted on him. He's got more assets around him than freaking Langley right now. There's more assets hovering over Mike Lindell than you'll find at freaking Langley. It's ridiculous. And this is what they do. To people that stand strong in faith, they come at. You've got to have thick skin. Not a lot of people want to go through the humiliation I went, through the, through the hardships that I went. But you know what? Like I said, when your back is up against the wall, you can either choose to scheme and find out your next quick rich thing when you're broke, or you just stick to God and have faith that he will take you through. 
And that's what you got to do. You might be hungry for an extra couple of days, but it's okay. And I urge all of you to do the same, just like I told many of my listeners when they had to make the decision. I can't make the decision for you if you take your vaccine or not. Because the decision you make, you will have to live with, not me. But know that if you're in a tight spot for a day, a week, or even a month, he'll take care of you. If you put God first, you can never, ever be last. And that is fact. People, there's so many people that say they do, but no, they don't. They just do it when it's comfortable. And when it gets uncomfortable, God doesn't exist at all. Now, before we end, I just want to play a super quick clip of some really good banter. And I'm going to leave it there and bid you a wonderful day. Article you'd written, public statements you had made on social media that were, I have to say, pretty grossly partisan. And I thought offensive. And you and I went back and forth about it. After that, a number of us asked you questions for the record relating to these statements. I want to follow up on one of them. I, in particular, asked you to give us a full accounting of the public posts that you had made on Twitter. You had locked your Twitter account before you came before this committee. It had been previously been public. I asked you to provide the, the public posts that had previously been available on Twitter because the ones that we have were pretty disturbing. You responded as follows, and I quote, My personal Twitter account is comprised of posts about my mystery novels, events at the White House Historical Association, Pittsburgh sports teams, travels, and my dog, end quote. Is this an accurate statement? Yes, Senator. I just remind you you're under oath. Is this an accurate statement? Yes, Senator. Well, let's talk a little bit about your, your Twitter posts then that I was asking you about. On February 18th, 2022, you posted on Twitter bemoaning the dropping of mask requirements for children, including those under the age of five. Do you remember that post? No, Senator. That, those tweets were in my personal capacity. No, uh, no, 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 no. I asked you, would you give all public posts that you had made on Twitter? Mm -hmm. You said no, effectively, and you said that your Twitter posts consisted of mystery novels, events at the White House Historical Association, Pittsburgh sports teams, travels, and my dog. And you just told me now under oath that you stood by that. So now let's talk about your Twitter posts. On February 18th, 2022, you posted bemoaning the fact that mask requirements for children under the age of five, one of whom I happen to have, by the way, had been dropped. Is that a post about your dog or sports teams? My social media is in my personal capacity. Answer Senator. my question, please, because you've testified under oath that you only posted about your dog and sports teams and novels. And you also said you wouldn't give this committee any of your public posts. So... Is your post on February 18th, 2022, bemoaning the lifting of mask requirements for children under the age of five, who I might just ask all of the data has said is extremely harmful to children, these mask requirements. We'll leave that aside for now. Is that a post about your dog or sports teams? Yes or no? My social media is in my personal capacity, Senator. Yes or no, Ms. Shogan. You are under oath before this committee, and I have to say, you have placed this so I just want to say I'm really glad that we're having this mass conversation because for all of you, the people, we are in the Sixth Circuit Monday at in the evening. I'll have more uh, more information. So Tuesday, my show is going to talk about that. Remember, we're in the Sixth Circuit because we fought the mask mandates, right? 
for children. Remember? Remember? And I'm the one where my final minor child has just joined the U.S. military. Therefore, she is no longer going to be a minor. So this case is extremely important for all parents across America. And it's so funny because where are all the patriots talking about it, right? Because, oh, it's just mass mandates. They all failed. Now they're not a problem. No, the problem, you know, while all your influencers were telling you, she's so dumb, she files pro se cases and, and it just ruins the law. Bitch, they're coming after your kids. They pass laws saying they can jab your kids without your permission. Why do you think I did it pro se? Because according to case law, you as a parent has no, have no legal right to represent your child's right. This is why thousands of Americans across the United States without stupid foundations funded by stupid influencers filed these pro se cases. So now I'm in front of the Sixth Circuit saying I have the right to represent my kid. Are you saying if I can't afford an attorney, my kid has no civil rights? Yes or fucking no, which probably is going to go to the Supreme Court and cost me more money. But I'm hoping, well, I can't use the campaign money for that. I'm hoping to recoup all my campaign finances with a new lawsuit um, and fix the law too with it um, because God always provides a way and I think it has to be done. But people need to understand that. You are not allowed to go to court as a parent and represent your child's civil interests. Remember that. Remember that. Just remember that we're winning. We're in the Sixth Circuit. And that's not me. It's you. I'm just, they're taking all the hits. Now let's continue this gotcha moment because it was pretty nice. This issue squarely in record by repeatedly refusing to answer yes or no. My personal, my social media is in my personal capacity, Senator. So you're not answering my question. Let's talk about another post. 26th of May, 2022. You talk about an assault weapons ban, retweet a post, ban assault weapons now. Say you agree with this idea that uh, you have to be a certain age to buy so-called assault weapons in America. Is that a post about sports teams or your dog or mystery novels? My social media is in my personal capacity, Senator. What about the post on, this, on January 5th of 2021 in which you say that Ted Cruz ought to stay in his own lane and not worry about what's going on in Pittsburgh. This is a, re a reference, I think, to uh, questions he had about uh, the certification of the last election. Is that a post about your dog or sports teams or mystery novels? My social media is in my personal capacity. Senator. What about uh, the post, you remember December 10th, 2020, where you said that uh, you were hoping that President Trump would have his vetoes overridden and you agreed with the post that he was a weak policy president? Is that a post about your dog or sports teams or mystery novels? My social media is in my personal capacity. What about your post on January 5th, 2021? And let's talk about President Trump's policy. Biden and Zelensky said that the Russians shot a missile. They got caught lying. Biden blew up the Nord Stream pipeline. All acts of war. And Putin still hasn't nuked us. It'll only take him a second. You have no idea what technology we have. And I say this with the utmost sincerity. That man has earned like a super spot in heaven for what he's done for the people and has taken hits like no other. 
And all of us should strive to be as bold, assertive, and strong when it comes to the face of evil. I want to say that. One in which you speculated that President Trump would pardon himself next, participating in a conversation about the certification of the Electoral College. Is that a post about sports teams or mystery novels or uh, your work as the, at the White House Historical Association? My social media is in my personal capacity, Senator. What about the uh, post? Do you remember this one? I said, we seem to be having an incredible case of amnesia, but maybe you remember this one. This is from December 3rd of 2021, in which you advise an individual who goes by Meg on social media that the Library of Congress, you advise this person to complain about religious flags that have been planted at the, on the grounds of the Library of Congress, and you say that they ought to be removed. And you go on to give this person advice about how to complain and have them removed. Do you remember that post? My social media is in my personal capacity. Do you remember the post? My social media is in my personal capacity, I have to say, I have been here for four years in the Senate. I have never seen a witness stonewall like this before. Never. And I've seen a lot. This is extraordinary. Do you remember this post? December 3rd, 2021. My social media is in my personal capacity, Senator. I mean, this is unbelievable. And you want to be the archivist of the United States. You lied to us under oath. You lied to us in your QFRs. You just lied to me a second ago under oath. And now you're sitting here stonewalling, not answering questions about public posts that you've made. Are you a lawyer, Ms. Shogun? No, Senator. Are you familiar with the Shirtlet case at the United States Supreme Court? No, Senator, I'm not. Well, in that case, the Supreme Court held that in fact it constitutes viewpoint discrimination for a government entity to remove religious flags from its property when it's opened up the property to allow other people to put flags on it. Exactly the question that you were addressing in your public posts on Twitter, you're giving legal advice, which you're not qualified to give, directly contrary to the United States Supreme Court. I just wonder, does this have to do with your view that you wrote about that the religious right is connected to the rise of anti-intellectualism in American politics? Is that... Is that why you said what you said about religious flags, that the religious right is a force for anti-intellectualism? Explain that to me. No, Senator. Do you stand by your comment that the religious right is part of the rise of anti-intellectualism in American politics? Senator, that, that article was written. It was about how Republican presidents use common sense terminology to effectively communicate with Americans. Yeah, in which you said that the religious right, the rise of the religious right is part of the rise of anti-intellectualism in American politics. I just point out that's the article in which you say uh, anti-intellectual, the title is anti-intellectualism in the modern presidency, Republican populism, very nonpartisan. Um, Dr. Shogun, I'm going to ask you again, will you give to this committee your public posts on Twitter? Will you make them available to this My committee? social media is in my personal capacity. Mr. Chairman, I have to tell you, this is the most extraordinary thing I have seen in my brief time. You know what? We already have our social media, so it's okay. It would be interesting to see if I can actually put together a project where we show you all their lockdown social media, kind of like the way Amanda Millis hides her Twitter. She locks it until she wants to tweet something so people see it, and then she locks it again. <laughs> That's another person that shrieks when she hears my name. Fucking massads. Anyway, so <clears throat> as I continue, right, I just want to tell you, they can't cancel people. It's like trying to turn off the light the real light, like the sun. I mean, they could block it with explosions like volcanoes, but it'll seep through at some point. So no matter how hard you try, 
the truth is kind of almost like these lyrics that you're going to hear as I bid you a fantastic evening. It walks through hell in sandals, drinking gasoline. God bless everyone. I can't be canceled. There's no way that you can stop me. Fully independent. There's no label who can drop me. Y'all been starting rumors. Let me help you with some. Yeah. He's a racist. He's a sexist. He's in love with Donald Trump. Y'all can't cancel me. My life is scandal free. There ain't no sponsors taking losses because the brand is me. My hands are clean. My family and my fans agree. Y'all can't cancel me for facts because you're mad and weak. Go ahead and tell the world I'm ugly and racist. I braid my hair and I don't care about cultural appropriation. I moved to the ghetto, lived in the ghetto. There's no Caucasians. And still I loved every single one of my neighbors. How's a man say I'm clickbait? If he gonna use this face to get clicks on his page, y'all hypocrites are made. But I ain't tripping about these bullies, it ain't sixth grade Go ahead and diss me, trying to sell a couple mixtapes I'm not afraid, take my face and my name Paste it on the front page I'm already famous and you'll never change it By hating or claiming you'll take it away My grind wicked, write my rhymes different You can try to quantify the fine limits There's a dying gimmick and denying winning This is pure fire, this ain't white privilege I do what I want